listening to the Vineyard Church's UK and Ireland podcast. The following audio was taken from the Cause to Live For 2022, our annual event for students' 20s and 30s. Right, why don't we kick off by you introducing yourselves briefly. Hi, uh, my name is Emily. Um, I'm an actor, uh, but my day job is I do admin for a recruitment agency. Um, it's not very fun, so if anybody wants to give me a different job, I'd really appreciate that. Uh, no, it's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I live in Manchester, but I'm actually from near here originally. Um, and we were talking about like what we were really passionate about and I'm just really passionate about church. I love church. I love serving on team. Oh, it's just the best. Um, so, yeah. Hi, I'm Abby. Um, I work for a local inclusion service supporting um, families and schools and children who have, shall we say, tricky behaviours. Um, I am really passionate about church being somewhere where people can just come as they are and are just mopped up into family and loved. Um, and I recently got married. <laughs> so, so my name's Hetel. I'm on maternity leave from my job as a doctor with my lovely six-month-year-old daughter, Ruana. And I love serving the church. I'm passionate about seeing people come to know Jesus and seeing people that do know Jesus being released into the fullness of their calling. And I just want to add just something to that. So Hetel is someone who has a heart for the lost in a way that is deeply inspiring and contagious. Abby has the biggest, softest heart that brings nourishment to those around her. And Em just personifies joy. You probably already picked that up. And she brings life wherever she goes. So we're going to jump right in now. I'm coming to you first, Em. Why don't you just share a little bit of your journey towards Jesus? Yeah, um, so I, I was 22 when I gave my life to Jesus. Um, and I guess, like my life before Jesus in a lot of ways, it looks quite similar to how it is now. I went to work, I see my friends. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really have this like big gaping hole and you know, this longing for something. I, I was having a good time. Um, and then in February 2019, um, we found out my dad had cancer. And when I was a child, I'd gone to church with him on a Sunday and I just felt like a bit of a pull to go back. I thought it would be um, like comforting, maybe a bit of nostalgic, but I thought it would be like a, a one-hit wonder kind of thing. Um, so I texted a friend who I knew went to church in Manchester, and she invited me along to Manchester Vineyard. Um, and a few months later, I found myself at a Christian festival, wondering how things had escalated so quickly. <laughs> um, and... Obviously, it ended up just being like the most incredible week. I gave my life to Jesus, I think on day three, um, and it, it, was, it was phenomenal. Um, but then Monday came around and I went back to work and I don't really know what I thought would happen. Um, I just felt really flat. I think I thought when I gave my life to Jesus, like all my problems would vanish and I just feel like sickeningly happy all the time and maybe like a gold light would shine on me, I don't know. No, that happened, surprisingly. Um, and it just, it just felt like a bit of an anticlimax. So then I found myself just slipping back into like the mundane of life, which along with that came like old habits. And I, I really didn't think my life needed to change in any way. So um, I, didn't, I didn't change it. Um, and then 
the global pandemic happened, there was no more like normal church and I began to feel really disconnected, um, felt very distant. And then last September, when we all came back, I was so excited, but I was so unbelievably overwhelmed. It was like God had called me home I remember on that first Sunday just bawling my eyes out. Um, and I think, I think since last September, I've really learned that you, you don't just say yes once. God has called me to say my yes again and again. And each time I've been met with such grace and kindness and love, and I really realized how much I was missing from my life before, I just I had no idea how much I didn't like myself And God has put so much work in me, undoing all of the damage, words spoken over me, heartbreaks, losses. And I've learned that my worth is just fully in him. My purpose is to serve him. And you can't fit Jesus just like neatly into your life. Jesus is it. And chasing after him should just be like everything that it's about. Amen. And it has been such a joy to see that become an increasing reality in, in Em's life. Um, yeah, she's living, living and breathing that. Abby, coming to you now. So you've been on your own journey of healing and um, you're in quite a different place in terms of your, kind of your identity in Christ and who you are and how you see yourself. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. If um, you missed Putty's talk last night, I'd really recommend um, catching up on it. But a lot of what he shared... Um, I really resonated with. And I grew up in a really loving Christian home, um, but I didn't really, my relationship with Jesus didn't really become real until kind of uni, end of my gap year. Um, And that happened to coincide with starting what would become a really serious and um, long-term relationship. And without really realising it, essentially all of my identity came wrapped up in that relationship. It brought me an immense amount of security which meant that when it ended, um, it significantly damaged my understanding of myself. Um, And that's what happened four years later, totally out of the blue and quite brutally it ended. And uh, he quickly got a new girlfriend. And um, she was in in every way the opposite to me. Um, She was tall for starters. Anyone who knows me knows I'm not. There's a reason I wear platform trainers. Um, But yeah, she she looked totally different. She was from a different country. She had a different faith. She had a different family. And what that did in in that moment when I found out was basically scream at me, you're not good enough. Because he rejected everything I was to accept everything I wasn't. And because my identity wasn't rooted in what Jesus said of me, I found myself floundering and I just rooted my identity in inadequacy. And that kind of feeling of self, um, of well, lack of self-worth, inadequacy, just kind of spilled into everything else in my life. Um, I questioned whether I had any gifting or ability. I became um, kind of crippled in insecurities, self-image, self-doubt. Um, I was hyper aware of what people thought of me. I'd lay awake at night, like, analysing conversations I'd had. I would compare, and I just developed this kind of habit of of over-apologising. And um, during that time, there was a lot of lies that the enemy spoke, and I just just took them. Um, And in time, God healed my broken heart and his kindness. And the more I fell in love with Jesus the more I started to realise that what he said of me didn't marry up with what I said of myself. 
So I had to choose to push in. Um, again and again and again, I had to fall on my knees. I had to bring my stuff to him. I had to surrender thought patterns, um, agreements I've made with myself, lies I believed about myself. Um, I had to do that again and again, and I learned, and this was really hard, <laughs> to speak truth over myself, what it says in the Bible, what I know the Lord says about me, and learn to stand on them. And you know, that isn't easy, it wasn't easy. Um, I had to choose vulnerability. I had to walk through some really painful places. Um, but God is good and he placed incredible people around me. And there were moments of significant breakthrough, one actually at cause. And then there were these moments of just gentle bringing of freedom. And I've learned to trust all that he says of me. I know that I am loved, I'm redeemed. I have something to offer, something to bring because of who he is in me. And also on that journey, um, I went through kind of seven years of singleness and I had to stand firm and then choose not to allow my identity, identity to be rooted in singleness. And, um, and I had to guard that. I had to cool it out um, and stand firm. And while I desperately longed for a husband, I'd be on my knees calling out for one. I think the Lord in his infinite mercy and kindness and love fought for me to know that I was his first and that I was enough because he said I was enough, um, not because anyone else did. And, you know, I don't say that, you know, I was aware that as I went into marriage, it, it, although a total joy, it doesn't um, heal everything. And um, the Lord, it's not to say that the Lord has to kind of deal with all our stuff before he gives us his desires of his heart. That isn't the case. You know, I've taken a lot of insecurities into marriage. But he, considering my journey, I, he pursued me to know that I was good enough because of what he says and not because of what anyone else did. There's a lot of love and appreciation for you ladies in the room. You love to see it. <laughs> so Abby, you mentioned that marriage, whilst obviously being wonderful, um, hasn't dealt with certain insecurities. And can you just tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, of course. Um, like I said, Lord took me on a great journey of freedom and healing. And when I entered marriage, I was much more confident in who I was, the giftings that I carried, my ability, my calling and worry and comparison had significantly kind of eased, but there is always more to be done. And for me, that is lingering um, self-image insecurities. And I think I always felt in terms of um, that, that surely when I get married, that'll be fixed. You know, here's this guy who loves me for exactly as I am. You know, surely that's, that's it. But of course, um, that didn't happen. I am as much a daughter of the king married as I was single. And so the only one who can heal the broken lies I believe about myself is him. And that meant when I got married, if anything, it held a light up to the things that I still believe that weren't from God. And so once again, <laughs> I find myself on my knees, bringing it to him, taking it to him, surrendering it to him, being ruthless and speaking truth out of my, over myself and also not indulging those kind of negative thoughts. And I think I say that in order to say, while marriage is a joy and I'm really blessed, it isn't the answer. Um, God is the answer. He is the only one who can restore, bring freedom, bring healing. 
And I think if we're seeking that security and identity, whether it's in relationship, whether it's in our job or family life, and not in the Lord, then we are always going to come out lacking. Absolutely. None of those things can be the goal, can they? Jesus is the goal. And I think, just like Pete was talking about earlier, you know, when we put, when we idolise other things or idolise marriage even, it's in effect like we're dethroning God. And we've got to ensure that God is on the throne in our lives. And um, yeah, Jesus. Jesus is the goal. And we've got to make sure we keep our eyes fixed on that. Hettel. Um, You've recently had a massive life change. Yes, I have. Why don't you tell us about that? So before I became a Christian in my early 20s, um, I didn't want to have, get married or have children. So I'd seen marriaging and parenting done in some not so brilliant ways, so I didn't see it as a good idea. And I became open to marriage after understanding the Christian view on marriage and got married about four years ago. And I knew my husband wanted children. Coming from a family of six, he would happily embrace being a minivan dad. <laughs> <laughs> so I entertained the possibility of having them, but I didn't actively desire kids. And I remember saying to God, if children are something you want for my life, you're going to have to take me on a journey. You're going to have to work in me the desire or help me align my will to you. And about a year into our marriage, there was a moment in church where someone shared a prophetic word about having a baby. And I, I wasn't actually sure what that word was, but I just suddenly felt the Holy Spirit rest on me. And in that moment, he birthed a desire for children. And it was a strong and joyful desire. I was almost giddy with it. And it would have been nice if that was the end of my journey towards parenthood. God had given me the desire, so you know, job done, time to have a child. But shortly after that prophetic word, I became unwell. I started to experience problems with the nerves in my body. I lost sensation in one of my arms, so like when you have a dead arm, and I had pins and needles in my hands and feet. And it's hard to explain how scared I was. So I'm a medic, and I had a list of possible diseases in my mind, and I was worried I had a chronic progressive illness, and that I'd lose the use of my arms, my legs, and eventually my body. So I underwent a number of tests, but the doctors couldn't explain what was going on. So I had no answers, just the fear of a disabling illness. And so suddenly, everything I dreamed of or planned for my life was under threat, including having a child. I couldn't consider having a baby when I wasn't sure if I'd be well enough to look after them. So every day, I found myself on my knees before God. Initially, I was praying, Lord, take this away. Lord, I want to do this. I want to have a child. Please just end this now. But after some time, I started to surrender to him. I laid down my plans, my dreams, my hopes and desires, absolutely everything before God and said to him, not my will, but yours. Have my life. Do with it what you will. I trust you. And I realised I may not be able to do some of the things I hoped for in my life and that no amount of trying would change that. So I surrendered it all to him, not clinging on to a secret desire or dream. My life was his. And this was my posture for two years my symptoms hadn't progressed, but I was still in the dark. And I was actually revising for an exam when I came across an uncommon virus that could have caused my symptoms. And so after some chats with the doctors, we reached a conclusion that when I'd been bitten by a mosquito during my holiday that preceded my illness, I'd been infected with that virus. So the hope was that that virus wouldn't do any further damage. And it was a big relief. 
But during those two years, with all the scans I'd been having, I had managed to get myself diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome and endometriosis, both of which can make getting pregnant very difficult. The doctors told us to start trying, but not to get our hopes up. So we were two years in, no closer to having a child, and processing that we might not have one naturally. But I kept thinking, God has spoken. This was God's idea, God's plan, not mine. And I treasured God's word to me. I held it close. And with that, I maintained hope. So the go-ahead with the doctors was in August 2021. And in August 2021, I became pregnant. <laughs> the Lord is faithful. And nine months later, my lovely daughter, Ruana, was born. And she is so, so precious to me. And I love her so fiercely. <laughs> so thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, indeed. Um, Heather, why don't you share some of your take-home points from that journey? There's probably quite a lot. Yes. So I learned so many things. Firstly, beware of mosquitoes. <laughs> they are tiny but nasty little things. And then secondly, I learned what true surrender looks like. I handed over many things to him, but I was still clinging on to certain ways I wanted my life to look like in the future whether that be a child or a job. And I think we all do that to a certain extent. True surrender was handing over my life, my plans, my hopes, my dreams, all of it, not holding anything back, allowing him to carry them all and take the lead. His will, not mine. I learned that if he wills something for your life and you don't want it, he can take you on a journey so your desires align with his will. And I realised I should have surrendered a long time ago, as it's not like I had any control over my future anyway. The, illusion, uh, the illness made me realise that the control I thought I had over my life was just an illusion. So the best thing I could do was throw myself into the arms of the one who is in control. And even though I receive good news, I'm learning to stay in that place of surrender, because in that place I found such freedom and joy. Instead of fighting his will or forcing the next step in my life and being miserable when things don't go to plan, I've learnt to trust and follow. I'm enjoying where I am now, all that God has given me, and I'm excited to see what his next step is in my life. And I've also learnt about waiting. So I experienced the hardship of waiting, but by cooperating with God, I found power and purpose. When God first instilled a desire for children in me, I was giddy with excitement, but I wasn't ready to have a child. I was too selfish. I was clinging on to what I wanted for my life, the things I wanted to do and experience. And over the three years I waited until I held my baby girl, God transformed me into someone who could willingly and joyfully serve her, meet her needs and delight in her. I'm now glad I had to wait, as I'm a much better parent now than I would have been before. So by cooperating with God, he transformed my waiting time into something that was so good for me, so good for us. And then finally, God is faithful. He is so faithful to us. He's faithful to his word, to his promises. And although my journey towards parenthood was nothing like I could have ever imagined, God was true to his word. He did not let me down. Indeed. And he, and he never will. He'll never let us down. Some of you might need to hear that. In, the, you know, in this room, you might be thinking, mm, I'm not sure, but he is faithful. He will not let you down. And that is, that is a promise.
Um, I'm coming back to you again. Um, how has following Jesus changed how you live out your life? Um, <laughs> I think um, changes in my behaviour, how, how I treat people. Um, I feel like I'm more patient, more empathetic. I feel like I handle conflict in a calmer manner. Um, I know my dad's in the audience, so I'm like, don't call me out here, dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but also, like, in a massive way I've noticed it is the change in my priorities. So, um, like, buying things and, and being married with kids, I've really come to know, like, that is not the ultimate goal. Whilst those things are nice, they're not the priority. The priority is Jesus. And... About seven months ago, I think just days after my 25th birthday, I stood up in this room, actually, um, and said that I was struggling with singleness. And it was so embarrassing. Um, but I just thought, this is my opportunity. I laid it all out. And obviously, I was just met with such kindness from God. And then in the lead up to this interview, the enemy just absolutely came for me. And I was so overwhelmed with feelings of shame, like I had nothing worth sharing. And I was so embarrassed about the lack of achievements in my life, specifically surrounding a successful career or the fact that I'm not married. They were so, it was so overwhelming. And I really thought I dealt with all of this stuff months ago. It was kind of a surprise. Um, so <laughs> I, I just think it, it's such a lie that we should find our worth in a partner or a job. We should be chasing after God exclusively and anything else is just a lie from the enemy to distract us. And I've, I fall into that trap all the time. I clearly am by no means there. You know, I thought I dealt with it and then just weeks ago, it was, it was so overwhelming. And... In, in April, I really felt like God was calling me to just take a step back and focus on building my relationship with him and only him, so not to pursue anything else. And it felt so impossible um, to commit to spending time pursuing a relationship exclusively with Jesus it was so hard for me, but I also think really hard for my family and my friends to try and explain to them, particularly friends outside of the church, that I wasn't going to be dating, that I wasn't going to be pursuing that. And if I'm being completely honest, I, I don't think they still really understand it. Um, but removing all of the distractions from my life has brought me closer to him in ways I could never have imagined. I've learned so much about myself. I've never felt more excited for my life, for what God's got planned for my life. And it's increased my trust in him and it's increased my trust in myself. And I can hand on heart say it is worth every single repetitive conversation with your friends about why I do not want the waiter to give him my phone number. <laughs> Please leave it alone. <laughs> um, but I think mostly like God's never gonna stop seeking you out ever. He will never leave you behind. He will never stop fighting for you. So honestly, it is just easier to take the leap of faith and see what happens. Like, save yourself some time, stop fighting it, and just lean into all that he's got for you. I love that. Save yourself some time and stop fighting it. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you, Em. Um, Abby, as someone who's always been committed to working in schools, how do you balance that kind of being committed to your work and also being fully in and committed to, to church and ministry? 
Um, I think it really helped me to realise that it can be both. Um, you don't have to be a paid worker of a church. You don't have to have done an internship. Um, although all great things, don't hear me wrong, um, to choose to be fully and committed to church. I love church. I love being at church. But I also feel and felt it was really right to serve the church. Um, alongside feeling right to be committed to, to teaching full-time. So I just chose to say yes to things. Um, and when they came, I made sure I was available. So leading a small group, that meant a night of not marking my books. Slight relief. Um, but, <laughs> but I did it. Um, and the Lord, you know, he's faithful and he gives us capacity. And he also taught me in those early years of teaching that my work didn't have to consume everything. Um, I think it also means that it can change. So initially, it felt really right to f uh, full, give f commitment to full-time work. Um, but I always knew that that should never come at the cost of what the Lord was asking for me at church. Um, so when my job um, started to claw into my time and energy that I had for what God was asking of me at church... Um, when it started to eat up my capacity to do things, whether that was um, having people around, new people around for dinner, whether that it meant the ministry I led took a hit or I wasn't able to say yes to things anymore, I really wasn't okay with that. And I had to reassess and come to him and I guess choose to lay it down, to give it to him and ask him what he wanted me to do. I guess it links back to the identity thing. My identity wasn't being a teacher, it was a daughter of the king. So what was he asking of me? And what did he have for me now? Um, and it became increasingly clear that that looked different. And so along with that, I think commitment to both the workplace and church will also mean surrender and sacrifice. Although what I perceived as sacrifices turn out not actually always sacrifices. <laughs> I loved aspects of the classroom and teaching. It is a privilege to have that job. Um, and I'd quickly achieved what the world said you should achieve. I'd rised um, quite quickly to an assistant head acting deputy. I had large amounts of responsibility and influence. With that came a good salary. I was well thought of, I think. Um, <laughs> all the things society says, don't walk away from those. Um, but none of that matters if we're not walking where he wants us to walk. Um, so I had to let those things go. Um, and the Lord was significantly nudging me to leave my job, in part for my mental health, um, but also more significantly in order to step into more of what the Lord had for me at church. Um, we have to keep our ears open to what he's saying. It can change. And he's been reminding me over this last year that what I knew to be true and had somehow let get a little bit clouded, that my job shouldn't consume everything and I am committed to his church. Um, so I've, saved, I've changed jobs. I have more time and capacity, capacity and I've also been able to give a day a week um, to volunteer at church, something I knew the Lord was asking of me. But alongside that, I am still committed to my, the, my work and honour the role that I've been given. I really think it's important to steward that. Um, but the changes I've made allow me to do that and be in church. I guess coming back to it being both. And please don't hear me wrong, that was obviously right for me. That's a story the Lord is writing with me and it may be different for you. But I think there's only so many hours in the day. And for me, it was my job, but it may be other distractions that squeeze everything else out. And I think it's important that we learn, whatever it is, whether it's your job or another distraction, that that finds its place um, so that the other things God calls us into, we're able to do as well. 
Absolutely. This is such important stuff, isn't it? And I, I think, you know, we have a choice to be bold and spirit-led, and I would wholeheartedly recommend grabbing hold of God's plans and will and purpose for your lives and running with it. Okay, Em, back to you. How has God made his will known to you? In so many ways. Um, I think the most common ones for me I've noticed are like thoughts or feelings that I cannot shift or that are potentially like brand new. Um, Like the kind of gut feeling, nagging feelings, uh, dreams um, through words or pictures from other people. Um, But I think what's really important to remember here is that if it's hurtful or it's harmful, then it is not from God. I think... I, after giving my life to Jesus, I spent a lot of time thinking that God was punishing me for things that I had done. Um, I went through a really bad breakup uh, about a year ago and I thought that God was punishing me for feeling disconnected during the lockdown. And it took me so long to really believe that God loves me unconditionally, that he is for me, that he only wants what is best for me. And it was just the most freeing feeling to, to know that. I also spent a really long time wondering why I wasn't hearing from God and then realised that I just was making no time to hear him. I wasn't shutting up effectively long enough for God to get a word in edgeways. Um, The conversation was was really one-sided and that's because I wasn't making any space. Um, I'm a talker. I, I love chatting and I think I don't thrive in moments of silence. So that's been a real journey for me is to be comfortable in the uncomfortable and to make space for God. It, it, was, it was a real challenge, but ultimately like hearing from him is the most important thing. So, I love that. And he loves chatting to you. <laughs> he loves a good old chat with him. <laughs> um, Abby, I'm coming back to you again. It's like bouncing around here. We will come back to you again, Hessel. Hi down there. <laughs> um, working in the secular world, Abby, can be really challenging, can't it? How do you live out kingdom life in those in that context with God first and foremost um yes it is very challenging um there's a verse actually that I found really helpful and um challenging and I come back to again and again but in 1 Peter and I'm paraphrasing here um it says live such a good life that those around you are won over to Jesus's side and celebrate him on his return And um, that has really, really helped me. Um, Like I said, challenged me. And with God's help, um, I tried to do that. And with his endless grace, um, because the dynamics of working in a secular world can be really, really challenging. Um, So I guess first and foremost, I am always open and honest about what I believe. I'm aware that I may be one of the only Christians my colleagues come into contact with. And so I want to ensure the way I act, the way I speak, reflects as much of Jesus as I'm able to do. So I try to be patient and loving and have grace and um, act with integrity. If I say I'm not going to get drunk on a night out, I'm not going to get drunk on a night out. Um, I have to remove myself from conversations. And I'm not perfect. um, And... I admit that, and I think anyone who's worked in a school will know that they are very gossipy places. Um, But I try and own my mistakes. If I've caught myself in a conversation, I want to go back and say, do you know what, guys? I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't fair. It wasn't right. And I think that holds a lot of power because in our current society, why apologise for gossiping? That's what you do. Um, It's not the norm. So, yeah, owning when when you fall short. 
Um, I think it's really important to take the time to get to know your colleagues. God's put them around you for a reason. I want to love them. I want to build relationship with them. I want to get to a place where I can begin to partner with them in life and speak into some of their things and share more, more about Jesus and pray for them. And these things can be really hard. Um, I've definitely found it hard over the years. So I think most importantly, and if you ignore everything else I just said, don't ignore this. Ensure that your relationship with Jesus is good. Spend time with him. Listen to him. Bring your stuff to him. Bring your worries. Be topped up again and prioritize that above everything else. And make sure you're still surrounding yourself with people who, who believe what you believe, who will speak truth, who will challenge you on things and pull you up, um, who encourage you. And if you're not getting those at work, where are you getting them? I think it's really helpful to ask ourselves, what voices are we la- allowing to speak the loudest in our life? And I think so much of this just comes down to, well, it has been for me, what's worth more to me? my career, what people think about me or, or my relationship with God. So helpful. Thank you, Abby. And you know, it's saying yes, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Again and again and again. Um, just coming into agreement with, with Jesus and how he wants us to live in the kingdom and the reality of the kingdom. And um, yeah, I think I've said before, someone asked me once, they said, how did you end up doing what you're doing? And I said, I think it was just a whole series of yeses that got me to this point. And that's really important, isn't it, that we're saying yes to Jesus um, and not to the things of the world. Right, back to you again, Em. Uh, so I said earlier that Em is a joy bringer. She's, she brings life um, wherever she goes. And um, I just want you to share maybe um, with everybody how you extend God's grace to the people around you. Yeah, um... I think a really big one for me was forgiveness. I used to love holding a grudge. I um, I could sulk. I could really put in a good shift there. Um, but ultimately, we are called to forgive. And we're not only called to forgive, we're called to love our enemies, which when I first heard about this, I was absolutely baffled. I was like, surely not. Um, uh, but surely, yes, we are. <laughs> and I think the, the more I've learned about Jesus, the more you just see that like time and time again all through the Bible. And it, it makes perfect sense. And I think the best way for people to know God's heart for them is to see it through us. We can reflect his love. We're called to forgive, so forgive people who hurt you. We're called to love, so just love people. And when people see the change in you, they'll see what God's love can do. So people in my life who I've known pre-Jesus, um, they have noticed a change in my temperament, in how I talk about people, uh, especially people who have hurt me. And when they ask me, like, oh, how, how can you think like that? How can you forgive them for that? I can wholeheartedly tell them that it would not be possible without Jesus. So good. So, so good. Um, so Hetel recently had a baby. Yes. She is utterly scrummy, um, <laughs> if you see her around. <laughs> You'll know, she's the scrummy one. Um, so, uh, many scrummy babies in the room, of course. Uh, I just happen to know her as so a little bit biased. Um, Heather, why don't you just share with us for a few minutes about how you, you live out the kingdom life with a little one in tow? Yeah, so as I said earlier, I'm currently on mat leave for my job as a medic. But during this time, I felt called to continue serving the church in the ways that I've previously done. So in Alpha, small groups, Sunday teams, and our internship year... 
As Steph said, I have a huge heart for those who don't know Jesus, and I love to see those who do know Jesus released into the fullness of their calling, and that hasn't changed. And in some ways, I have more capacity now than I did when I was working, so I've been able to channel that time into serving. And I feel like it's a countercultural way to spend my maternity leave. So one of the narratives I I perceive we're facing in society is that once you become a parent, that's it. You lose your former self, and your sole focus is your child that you have to put your identity only into being a parent. And parents can be shamed if they dare to prioritise anything in their day that isn't their child. But as Christians, our identity is first and foremost in Jesus, not firstly in being a parent. And Jesus tells us the kingdom should be first in our lives. And I've found that just because I've become a parent, it doesn't mean I'm not called to all the things I used to do. Obviously, when you have a child, there's an adjustment. You need to love, nurture, and cherish them. And it's a total joy, joy and privilege. And it, it does take a lot of you. And in some seasons are more intense than others, for example, COVID. But it's often not at the expense of everything else. So if you're a parent, you are called to parenthood, of course. But you're still called to love others, serve the church, and fight for kingdom breakthrough. There's a radical blend of loving and cherishing our children alongside maintaining a kingdom mindset and using all the gifts God's given us to bring the kingdom. And for the sake of my lovely daughter, I think it's really important that she knows that me and my husband are totally sold out to Jesus and his cause. And I honestly think that seeing our kingdom mindset is one of the best ways we can be intentional about her discipleship. And she can't just hear that from us, but she has to see it. She needs to see our commitment to love and serve our church family, to reach the lost, and to serve the poor. I want her to know that her life is not about chasing the next thing to achieve, to experience or accumulate, but it's about loving God and participating with him to see his kingdom come, to see people come to faith and cities transformed. And that's so exciting, and that's a cause worth living for. So we want her to join in the flow of our lives towards Jesus and his cause. We're a family on a mission. You really are. And how has that been received by others? Well, I've touched on one of society's views towards parenthood. By resisting allowing your child to be your only focus, it can feel like you're going against the grain. But more significantly for me, it's been interesting to see how my parents have taken my parenting So I'm Indian, my parents are both Hindus, and I became a Christian in my early 20s at uni. And they tend to swing from two extremes, either joining in with the voices of some in society by telling me I'm not prioritising her enough, for example, telling me I shouldn't take her to church on a Sunday as it disrupts her routine. And then the other extreme is encouraging me to find my identity in my work, my career, my achievements which is fairly standard for Indian parents, often because as immigrants to the UK, they had to work up from nothing. So there's three career paths I was offered in my teens, doctor, lawyer, and accountant. Serving the church unpaid, unsurprisingly, didn't make that list. (laughs) So they don't understand why I'm continuing to serve the church during my mat leave, wanting me to instead study for my next exam in medicine. So part of my Christian journey has been learning that it's okay that my parents disagree with some of my choices. I love them and I want to honour them, but I can't please them over pleasing God. I can't choose obedience to them over obedience to God. My parents may not be happy with some of my decisions, but in these moments I have to be secure in who I am in Jesus, in his pleasure over me and his acceptance on me. 
And we all face this. For me, it's my parents. For others, it could be friends or colleagues that don't agree with your decisions. We need to stand secure in Jesus' pleasure and acceptance. And then also, I felt the resistance of the enemy as I've attempted to live for the kingdom in both my pregnancy and as a parent. So I went into preterm labour at 28 weeks, so that's 12 weeks too early. And I was in hospital for a few days, but thankfully the doctors managed to stop it. And I didn't know why it happened, but I knew the enemy wanted to use that moment to instill fear in me, to tempt me to retreat for three months, to step back from serving Jesus and his church. And I made some sensible adjustments. I wasn't risky in any sense, but I chose to continue to go to church and serve where I could. I just did it pretty much all seated. <laughs> and now I'm breastfeeding my daughter and I love it, but it's been physically hard work and I felt unwell at times. And I know the enemy is tempting me to believe that I'm too weak to serve Jesus and the kingdom, tempting me to retreat for a while and restart later. But again, I've made some sensible adjustments. I've tried to not give in to that lie, to count myself out, and I've just carried on. So I think the enemy has been historically against women, trying to oppress them and hold them back, not allowing them to be all they are in Jesus and do all they're called to do. He knows if women grasp the fullness of their calling, then big kingdom stuff will happen. So he's using any opportunity and every life stage to hold us back. Whatever season of life we're in, he'll throw every fear, every anxiety, every distraction at us, as he does not want us to be wholeheartedly serving the king and his kingdom. So as a woman, I'm trying to stand secure in my identity as a daughter of the king, stand firm against the enemy's attacks and choose to be unwavering in my obedience to his call and his kingdom. It's hard and the attacks feel relentless at times, but ultimately Jesus is victorious and he is so, so worth it. He really is. He is worth it all. And um, I just want to thank you all for sharing so openly. And, oh gosh, there's such power, isn't there, in, um, in hearing um, you each testify to God's grace and mercy and uh, joy over, over you in your lives. So, um, so thank you, each of you.